0: Welcome to season 5 of the podcast of the Urban Mystic. In this season we are exploring relational spirituality, which is not rooted in character formation and instead in immediate relational engagement with God. It is a relational mystical spirituality encouraging people to enter deeply into living and loving in relation to their own self, others and God. We can't think of any better venture to give our lives to than this and I'm sure you'd agree with us. In this episode we continue our conversational preaching and process, yet we touch on process-centred environments as requiring those facilitating to trust the participants and God, while in a preaching-centred environment, trust rests in the speaker alone. Urban Mystic is supported by people making once-often regular contributions. If you'd like to contribute from your tithe or make a contribution to this work just because you like us and like what we do, follow the PayPal link in the show notes. Please like, subscribe and leave a comment on your favourite listing platform, this also really helps grow the podcast and if you like this episode, recommend it to a friend and come have a conversation with us. When I think about contrasting preaching and process, I think of the person preparing the sermon putting a lot of work into it on most situations because they take their job seriously, they take their reputation seriously, they take their congregation seriously. So there's a big investment on their side with that, but there's a low investment on the people that just arrive and just receive. They might receive a lot of value, but the investment is disproportional. All the work that goes into the sermon and what's expected to be delivered and come out versus what is actually received and what actually comes out and what people actually invest in when listening, I feel that there's a big difference between the two. I think if one inverts that and you look at process or participatory process, you can't arrive in half measure. If you arrive in half measure, you don't get anything out of the process. You actually have to invest in the process. You have to participate. You You have to show up. You can't just show up and be on autopilot. That's likely to be the thing that most significantly defines the differences between the two for me. That's
1: a really helpful place to start. Because um, so, as I think, as I listen to what you're saying there, one of the first things that strikes me is that that's also quite a potentially generous, and and I'll make that comment in a fair and unfair way, generous assumption around preaching, right, is that a lot of work has gone into it.
0: Well, well, I think we've knocked it enough to to, to, to backtrack a <laughs> bit and be and be generous in this context, right?
1: <laughs> no, no, that's I mean that's that's good. I, I think my 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 real point for that is is knocking aside is. Uh, so if I, if I start from the first position, which would be that, which is I think often people are, are putting far less effort in than, than one might hope or wish, right? But I also think that the system is set up in such a way that it is very hard to put a huge amount of effort into preparation for preaching week in and week out. And I'm going to tackle it specifically from this idea of process because I can't remember who it was that said this to me, but years ago somebody said something about preaching that I just thought was quite wise. They said, the message that you'd come and deliver when you preach needs to have impacted you as well before you deliver it to the people that are going to hear it, which means it can't, and and so some of this is the language, I think, of just plain kind of preaching and institutional religion. It it can't cost you nothing to say that, you know, people say, oh, God must have searched you as well through this, et cetera, et cetera. Now, I'm, I'm not always convinced that that's through the relational paradigm, so it's really from an intellectual, rational kind of faith, doctrinal, you know, Like, do I really believe this? Okay, if I really have worked it through and I believe it, then I can say it. Or you get the internal, you know, the the sort of mindfulness inner work stuff that we've been talking about. Okay, well, if I'm going to talk about humility, have I been through a process through which I have come to grips with what it is to be made humble or to exercise humility? And it's actually become part of who I am, and then I can actually go and speak about that, essentially. And so from that perspective, I think it's impossible for somebody to deliver a message every single week if they're actually going to go through the process of investing themselves in whatever topic, et cetera, that they're going to come and speak about. And so even from that perspective, I think it's quite generous to expect people to really have come to grips with what they're coming to speak about. Um, And so even if there's a lot of work, I think sometimes even the premise around that work is such that it can be a lot more of an of a intellectual exercise than a lived experience exercise. Yeah, I, I mean, it feels very unfair to say some of these things, but having been somebody who, who, in a period in my life, had to deliver two messages a day, sometimes, a morning and an evening, and they, they, weren't, they, wouldn't, they weren't the same message, I'm aware of what that takes out of you. And eventually, you're not actually investing in process. You're just going, read a couple of quick commentaries and crimp some notes from somebody else's thing, and let me just deliver a topic that's good enough to just get through that Sunday into the next Sunday. And what happens there is I think you, you disinvest, but you also disorientate from process yourself. And especially relational process takes a huge amount of time to really To really work with and come to grips with, and to practice, and then to deliver that requires a huge amount of effort. And you're right, then. Then it it often is received by someone who sits quite passively and goes, "Oh, I don't know, they weren't funny enough today," or and really feel like they hit their you know their high notes or whatever else it is. And so it's it's supremely low investment in terms of its ask on the other side. Whereas, as you say, our process to involve yourself on the other side as the receiver now and then to actually be involved then in, in the process asks a huge amount out of you. Um, and, and that's why I think in the long range, or the long run rather, it's a lot more beneficial than just you know short-term just uh, stacking up facts and, and uh, consuming information and other people's process, etc., it feels quite good, but it's quite cheap calories, actually. It's not uh, <laughs> like low GI, like long-range stuff. Um, yeah, I don't, I, yeah I'm, I'm hopeful that that came out somewhat clearly. Mm-hmm. But, um, no,
0: I, I think that there's, there's also a big difference between getting to preach one sermon um, as opposed to preaching twice a day and they've got to be different messages and then you've got to preach a series. You know so 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 at some point you've got to land in a flow that works for you that that means that you don't spend your whole week preparing your sermon you know um, so where does it fits in you know the cycle of your life the cycle of your family life the cycle of your professional life and what's the balance between regularity and responding to crisis that varies depending on whether you're just a preaching pastor or you actually care for people right <laughs> so So, there is a difference between those as well. So, I I think, you know, I think in some ways, even just looking at a relational analogy, there's a lot of relationships that go pear shaped because all your energy goes into work. And when you get home, you're showing up with your leftovers. And that I'm borrowing from Esther Perel with that. And, And as someone that's done that in relationship and then also look to invest in relationship and invest in a relationship with someone who I don't feel is, you know, at times uh being married to someone who's trying to invest in a relationship and I'm disinvested and other times I'm trying to invest in a relationship and she's disinvested you know so there's there's a difference between that and I think in the preacher congregation mix you often end up with a mix of people that are invested and people that are disinvested in what's going on and 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 more and more as I, as I've, as I've spoken to people, they're often there for the worship, they're often enduring the sermon. So they're not necessarily looking to get out what the preachers are looking to put in. and there's that that mismatch of expectations and investment is quite significant as well. So, yeah, that's a big one. Yeah, but but I think I think in general if, if you're looking at a at a large larger auditorium situation you're trying to put people in it's very difficult to have people in a process aside from con- being convincing yourself and them that preaching is the process and that they're going through a process because they're attending these these sermons. We've also got such a high within Christianity such a high emphasis on on delivering the preaching and having to preach from the Bible that there's often a, a, a mismatch again between what people are actually needing to process for themselves and the questions that they're needing to ask, the stories that they need to tell, um, uh, you know what, how how they can go about journeying together with people in a meaningful way that actually enables their growth. And I think in most situations we are we are we we wrapped up into this model of doing church, going back to the doing church paradigm that makes preaching so central. That that. That, that people often aren't enabled in a process. And so I know so many people who are leaving church and deconstructing, they'll go and they'll do a 10 day silent retreat and come out of that saying, the practice of mindfulness has given them more than they've gotten out of 10 years of sitting and preaching. And and I think it's because of the difference in pro, the difference being that they've arrived invested in a process with an idea of an outcome that they want, and they're applying themselves intentionally in a way that enables them to grow. And, and we can apply ourselves in the same way to preaching, but preaching is not transformative process for people. It's, it's acquisition. You're requiring inspiration or knowledge. You're not, you're not actually being transformed because you're not participating for transformation. And the preaching itself doesn't enable participation for transformation. And so I think in some ways we stuck with, a, we left with a model that, that goes back to the institutional church and the foundation of the institutional church more than to the primal church and and I think the big thing with this is we are so stuck in in this model that we 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 struggle to let go you know so for instance um, I'm just going to ramble for a second <laughs> so so what one one of the series that are developed and run is called the Trinity sessions Christianity is a faith where the Trinity is a central part of our faith one God three Lords no, one Lord <laughs> who is the Father, one Lord who is the Son, one Lord who is the Spirit, right? One God, and yet we've got these three persons. And so and so, we've got this highly complicated thing where, where the Son is fully God, but the Son is not the same as the Father, and yet there's only one God. The Father is fully God, and yet the Father is not the same as the Spirit, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So we've got all this... Deep philosophical complexity that took six seven hundred years to work out and then some more and it's it's the cornerstone or the foundation of 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 it's a big part of our faith you know it's it's you can't you you know it taps into everything related to christianity and yet you ask anyone to explain the trinity you're going to get the biggest heresy under the sun all the heresies are going to come out from, from history and so so I figured that there's a way to actually bypass that and get people to a process because if, if relational engagement with God is our priority and the Father is God, the Son is God and the Spirit is God, then there's gotta be a way for us to engage in meaningful relationship with each of them, right? It that just it just follows in some kind of logical sense. And and so I thought of this of the series where the first thing starts with this this almost like a like a lecture Q and A on the Trinity, putting it in context, and then setting aside the clarity that the church has arrived at in teaching, and giving the permission to set that aside so that people can process the actual relationship and talk about it, and then each of the sessions followed as you know it's a session where people are talking about their relational engagement with the Father you know, and the patterns that come out and and then when then it's a week of intentionally practicing reading scripture about the father and engaging the father. You know, and then the next week it's 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 about the son and speaking about relational engagement with the son or the lack thereof or, you know, faith in, or et cetera, et cetera. But people actually tell their stories. And as part of that they process it. And then a week of intentional reading and seeking to engage. The son who is also God right and then similarly in the end with the spirit you know a session on the spirit where people tell the stories of the relationship with the spirit not not just about the gifts or the expression of the gifts but about the person this 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 highly intimate um, person who's actually the closest to us experientially relationally but the ones that people are most confused about but but to actually tell the stories of that and then again to spend a week doing readings and intentionally practice waiting on engaging the spirit absolutely phenomenal in my mind, saw uh, a whole bunch of people grow phenomenally through doing it. But when introducing the idea to churches and saying well if this is what we're about why don't we run this as a series, what, what do you guys think about running this? It's the answer hands down is always no no we won't go near that. <laughs> and and so that then causes me to ask questions about well if, if we are supposed to be teaching people and someone's going to spend 10, 15, 20, 25, 30 years in church but they don't have the basics around this trinitarian god that we know and they can't articulate that. What are they actually learning? This, that's the foundation, it's a core foundation. Whereas if we start with process, I guarantee that, that, that three months of intentionally practicing that, people are going to have a lot to say and a lot of good stuff to say, and a lot to, get, to introduce people to, and out of the intentional focus on the on those three persons of the Godhead, their spirituality is going to grow because now, now it moves from this amorphous thing to a concrete thing and a concrete practice of engagement. And I think those kind of processes end up being tremendously vital, but we can't do them from the pulpit and you can't do them as someone sitting in the pew. And yet my experience is that churches are basically going we don't actually want to run that we don't want to do that why because we don't trust that anyone's going to teach on the Trinity rights and we don't trust that anyone's going to believe on it right at the end of the day but then also we just don't trust people The experience how are we going to know that they're experiencing God if that's what they're talking about if someone's so they would rather substitute a lecture for each of those and then relegate it to the seminary but it's not actually for the church and, and when I think of that kind of stuff that's where I start thinking that's why we've got this problem this is why people say that the value that their need for relational intimacy with god is not being met by doing church it's because we're actually not focusing on this relational engagement with this god so so in my mind i, I come back to that but i realize that's a it's a big ramble <laughs> so i'm going to step off that soapbox and just <laughs> boss the speaking mic back to you steve
1: <laughs> i think that gives us some good scope to explore I had two thoughts earlier when you were talking about the preacher and the process and then into this, in, into this sort of exploration. And I think given that we've done two episodes already, I think what I would find really helpful is that we keep positioning ourselves towards, okay, what, what might a process actually look like then? One of the first thoughts that came to me was, you know, many people will argue with you earlier on and go, but that is exactly what we're doing within our institution. Someone is standing up on a Sunday and they're speaking. And the idea is that that people take that message and they plug into that and they plug it that into their lives during the week. And it needs to go into their prayer times, into their relating to other people times, into their, you know, what does it mean to to walk the talk each day as a Christian kind of thing. And the other thing that you put your finger on was the person who leaves the institutional church after forever going, I'm getting nothing out of this. But then, and in my mind, you're presenting a drastic change in this individual. They've gone from a passive sit in the pew, and then they went away in a drastically active way and plugged themselves into something for 10 days and came away going, see, this mindfulness has done more than 10 years of church, after which I'd say, well, obviously, <laughs> because you were in the driving seat, you know, and 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 so you jumped in. And so I think it's good to just acknowledge that, no, I can't simplify that that easily. It's too complex. but. I don't think per se there's anything wrong with stimulating people with a good talk, preach, whatever you call it, there's some good information, some good challenges, etc.
0: Stimulating, teaching, inspiring.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, And churches that do that well then pass the baton over to the listener and go, now it's up to you, right? So we can't do all of the work just by speaking and you sit there like a lump and do nothing. You need to go and plug that into your everyday blah, 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 blah. And I hear that as a common argument from people. And and I think it lends itself to that second point, which I'll come to a little bit later now in a bit more detail, which is the idea of people becoming active themselves, right? Active participants, active participants in their own lives. And And that's where I want to get to what you're talking about the Trinity sessions. The issue with the first point is that the the context in which it's practiced is anti-process. And sometimes it's not as strong as anti-process, as in it's actively fighting it, because that's what you were describing towards the end of talking about the Trinity sessions, people going we won't do that, we won't do any kind of groups or process or interactive process, we won't do any kind of Any kind of groups where there is a dynamic where the sort of agency of the group is located outside of one specific leader—you know, it's shared at all. Like, we're not going to do that. So, it's very anti. But in a more subtle way, if you gather people every Sunday and they come into a geographical space, and often it's worse online, I think, because they don't even have to get in a car. (laughs) Like. It's, it's just unbelievably lazy and passive inducing and, and consumer oriented, I think. But anyway, so let's go with the geographical sort of, you know, um, what would we call it? The local church expression. People gather at a central point, come in, sit in such a manner that, they, that 98% of the people in the building are sitting in rows or chairs or whatever, or facing a similar direction. There's one person at the front tasked. With communicating this message, at the end of the day, you, you then face a do what I say, not what I do model. That's the, that's the message. Because process is modeled. Process is shared. Process is instigated process is not only spoken to. It it was some of the biggest fights I used to have when I was working uh, within school contexts, looking at leadership and looking at the development of young people, going, if you pay lip service to a program that's supposed to develop young people into leaders, it will not happen. It doesn't matter how many fancy sayings you have or lectures you have or people who come in and speak there actually has to be space of rubber hit road and there has to be a process in which these young people can collaborate and be formed. They're not just formed by some lecture. And so when the, when, when the, when the system is oriented towards come and listen once a week, if even on the back of that, you finish it, and this, is, this was kind of my, this was one of the things that I started to pick up on when I was still speaking in churches, it was kind of going, well, I need some way to address this phenomena that I know is happening. And so one of my, I, I sat down, I always had these two things that I would say. They were my, um, what do you call those things? My, um, there were warnings in a way. <laughs> my caveats at the beginning before I spoke, it was, one of them was, when I stop talking, my work is over and your work begins. And I tried to put that out before I said anything else because I wanted that to be the basis of which we engaged together. But I'm aware that even as intentional as I could be, and I'm certain there are better and better ways to do that, and even if I choose my language around, we are gathering here today to listen to this message together. It's impacting me and you. When I stop speaking, you have something to do all of that is fighting uphill against a system that reinforces come and sit. So it's anti-process, and that doesn't help us. But if, because I think sometimes that's, you know, that's fair, I, I can just hear the outlier voices, people going, not my church. You know? <laughs> like if, if the sermon is a culmination of a week spent engaging in process with people, or it is the beginning point of a week, you know, it's the launching pad for a week spent really engaging with people and process and kind of distributive leadership and shared agency and listening to stories, engaging blah, 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 blah. There's a lot to be said there, which we'll get to. Then I think it has more space. And I think it, it lends itself better to fighting this uphill battle of the system says, but just come and sit. Like, If you make it that easy and then say to people, but you must really put in the hard work and do it yourselves, I think you're just facing an uphill battle. I think people will always be people. So that would be my first point. The second point is simply that, is that if you don't invest in process, you come away with very little. But you can fool yourself that you're coming away with a lot. And that's where I think The agency of the individual is so incredibly important and realizing groups are, you know, I used to have this joke when I worked with teenagers, I would say, you can arrange yourself into like six groups of five or you can arrange yourself into 30 groups of one and they're all like, "Ah, 30 groups of one. But, you know, I'm trying to get across the point that this group of 30 people is made up of one, of, of, of like base units of one. Yeah, everyone's an individual and you have to show up you have to take care that you have agency that has to be stewarded well, it has to be nurtured, and you've got to get out there and flip and use it. Um, and, and process demands that of you, but you can as an individual just sit back and go, I went to this wonderful collaborative dialogue on Saturday and asked a couple of questions and listened to a lot of people say things and, oh, I came home absolutely changed. And you've done fuck all, fuck all. Like So it is also easy to lie to yourself, but one of the keys of process is that it asks a lot of you. And I think the manner in which it plays out, where you're now talking about the Trinity sessions, where there is less of a focus on setting out correct doctrine so much as there is a focus on, we are going to put out some information for you to chew on, but then we're also going to now invest ourselves mutually in each other's stories, experience, deep listening, um, asking questions, reciprocal sharing, etc., etc. that is a lot harder as a system to go home with and go, oh, well, you know, I just sat there and do nothing and I'm going to be changed. I think you are far more aware that it, I think it's more supportive of making you aware that you actually have to play a role there. That for me is, is, is like this, it's a bit like a double-edged sword when it comes to process because it's so beautiful and it's so powerful. It's It's got like a latent power to it. I find it not obviously powerful. But it requires a huge amount of work. It really, really does. And that work is always, I can manage me when I show up into this process. Am I going to give everything and I'm going to participate because that really is the only way to, to get anywhere within the process. And that for me is the, is the heart of the relational spirituality. The process there is if I'm going to leverage other people's relationships with God, their doctrines, their Bible, their histories, their you know systematic expression by institutional religion, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, you're just not going to show up. And you're not going to experience it. It's not going to happen to you. It's going to happen in some sort of murky way around you. Or you can show up, and you can really give, and you can really fight, and you can really be involved. And you can actually enter into the depths of what it means to, to Im- embody the phrase, I am a relational being, and do that with others who are embodying that, probably imperfectly, and striving to do it better and better. And to do it with, you know, the divine being, and go. Okay, let's 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 walk this up. But it's flipping messy. That's another point. It's hell of a messy. And I think that's why the churches would be my take, at least, on why the churches push back against running that. It's not easy to package. It's not easy to predict. And so, you, you like if you really go and visit, let's say, a couple as a pastoral person, and they have problems. If you've got a good sense of how that first meeting of an hour and a half has got to go, I don't think you're showing up well relationally. Because you have to show up with the idea that you might be there for six hours, because everything falls apart. And you have to show up with the idea that you might have to get out of there in 10 minutes, because the message is clear. Like, we don't want to go into this with you. You're intruding. Get the hell out. Okay, cool. And we respect those relational dynamics. But if you show up with the sense of a prepackaged, like this is how the church handles couples counseling, and we're going to do the first hour and a half, and we're going to meet these, you know, we're going to hit these sort of signposts along the way, these way markers, and I'm going to leave feeling great about myself. You haven't showed up in a relational way at all. It's co-created, that space. It relies on you showing up as the pastoral visitor and the two other people in the room and i would say the three other people in the room who are less easy to see (laughs) you know so there's six people in that room co-creating that space and that's what relational engagement is it's a constant co-creation a constant co-stewarding of the space it's a it's a sharing of reality but the institutional religion is far less interested in sharing and far more interested in owning and dictating. And those are really strong terms. And I think they apply far more on some ends of the spectrum than on others. But I I believe at the heart of the process is this shared reality, this willingness to, to kind of mutually submit, which is also a little bit of a loaded term towards investigating together, like, okay, cool. Tim, let's do the Trinity sessions. And let's go in with an open-minded curiosity towards talking about my story, about what my relationship with God as father is. Aware that potentially in that time you might want to say, well, something that you've said has really, you know, set something off in me. And I thought I might share this. Or you've answered a question I've had for ages that makes me want to dig a bit more into God as father or mother or parent or, you know that stuff happens. There's, there's a dynamism there, and, and so it has to be taken seriously on that, uh, at that level.
0: Look, look, I think in practice it is, it is much easier and safer to preach on God being the Father or Jesus being Lord or the Spirit being Lord than, than it is to, to, to hand the conversation over to someone and say, have you even met them? Have you even experienced them? what does that even mean? So in some ways, it's, it's almost like we can draw, we can draw stuff off the shelf of our tradition. We can borrow from the spirituality of people that have come generations before and speak with clear certainty because someone has experienced this. But that would almost be like running a school and you've had 20 generations of classes coming through and someone says, how do your students do? And you look back and you pick the top people over the years and you say this is what the school does and you don't recognize that in the current generation the people that are there at present you know they, they don't have the resources for teaching the classes are over full no one's passing you know that kind of stuff like it's, it's a very different kind of that's a very different kind of scenario and i think often when it comes to preaching it's easy for us to draw off the shelf from scripture and history and to provide these these a story that is supposed to be inspiring or give people something to hinge off of but we're not necessarily getting into people's process we're not getting to see how they go about cultivating that for themselves how do they take responsibility and practice this so so where I start feeling tripped up or frustrated yeah is is in the recognition that people's predominant practice of their faith is not a regular withdrawal to silence and solitude and practice of their faith, you know, or a regular pursuit of God, you, you know, in and through so many things in life, like, it, it's accidental, yes, they want God to show up, but they're, they're not, like, in general, life is busy, and you, you're you working, you're getting home, you're dealing with the kids, you're, you know, getting some entertainment, and you're going to bed, you'll squeeze your spirituality in around, but that's like, that's like, that's like taking the family phone call, and no one picks up on the other side. You know you, you do that what once twice a week in crisis like whatever you know for most part just being realistic but the predominant practice then of the faith is showing up on the sunday at the home group so the primary time that people actually have to invest in this i th- i feel that it's better to be using the time in the best possible way to get the maximum outcome for people and 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 for me i mean for other people i think perhaps for them they feel that preaching is the best way to do that i i would argue from dust till dawn that it's not the case <laughs> but but when I think of what I'd rather do I'd much rather be doing processes like that with people because I feel there I see the genuine growth I break a cycle of dependency on the preacher or the teacher which is healthy it's very healthy to break that cycle and so so I'm very aware that we've actually got church systems that that have legislated themselves based on how they read scripture into parent-child scenarios where people are always dependent on the preachers and the and the elders, and 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 it's just I, I don't know I mean that's that's horrifying. Um, but the other thing I should say is before anyone thinks that this is an advert for the Trinity Sessions, um, it is in part sure, <laughs> but <laughs> but it actually isn't because I feel that that's a that's a later course that I that that to do rather than an earlier one. You know, an earlier one. You know, there's there's other things to do, and we'll we'll get there and talk about them in time. But I'm I'm using that as a as an as an illustration from our side because it actually touches on something that is that that's you know we could say you know like is god important yeah god's in the category of important you know let's put that alongside your sin management stuff and are you feeling inspired and do you have the faith of mustard seed you know that kind of thing like like we don't put it in that box of going, oh, this is amongst the important things, and it doesn't you know we may or may not get around preaching it at some point in a twenty-year process, we'll dig it off in a dusty book. This is this is actually critical. It's foundational. Like you don't get away from it. You shouldn't. You know, if if someone has been a Christian for three years and they they don't have a clear idea of of the person, work of the Holy Spirit, what have they been learning? You know, honesty. I just think, like, what are you doing? You know, the, the 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 first person of the Godhead that we encounter is the Spirit. <laughs> You know, the first person of the Godhead that that, that makes us available to us is the Son. The first person of the Godhead that that, that is r- really important in all things is the Father. And so, so even in my language, I shift from speaking about the first, second, third person of the of the Godhead to speaking about the three first persons, because that's a better way to communicate their co-equality, as opposed to the idea that the you know you know is the Son subordinate to the Father. I don't see the Father behaving that way. <laughs> you know. So so why 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 do we have to hold to that in the church? Anyway anyway I'm 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 really going off in different tangents here. But it it it's just for me ends up being it's it's illustrative of something that I think is so foundational to our faith, and yet is never is is like when is it ever touched on? When is it ever touched on in a meaningful way? And so so I think I think for me it just raises questions around around teaching and maybe that's you know I'm often accused of just having an intellectual wiring for teaching as opposed to inspiration. But I tend to think that if we if we are going to use languages like the messages teaching or, or whatever, then we must be aware of what people are, are learning. But then, as you say, there's a difference between showing up in a in a low investment context to listen to a sermon, but then you're not actually implementing anything in the same way. Versus that person, why do they experience the benefit out of that? Well, they're experiencing stuff out of going away on that retreat because of how they show up and what they're doing. There's often a point when someone joins a church who is new to the faith where they experience similar growth and rapid growth over a period of time until they hit the same old, same old.
1: And so I mean some of some of the things that you that you raised there are I think just really, really helpful for us to 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 further push into a little in terms of just like what would we mean what would we mean around process? What, one of the questions there that you're raising is well Essentially is what is learning, but how do we know when learning is taking place and learning, in my understanding, has less to do with information than it has to do with formation uh, A real learning is a becoming it's not just a a it's not just a information retention model okay now that, that is a part of it because. You know, active memory and long-term memory is, is really important part of what it means to be human. But to really learn something, it means that you become something. So, for example, I mean, it's a silly little example, but you ask somebody what they're going to go and study before they go and study it. And then you ask them about it afterwards. You say, well, I'm, I'm going to technical school to learn to, you know, to learn plumbing so you're learning plumbing. Okay, cool. You meet that person 15 years ago. Oh, tell me about life. I am a plumber. I have become this thing that I was learning about. It it has become integrated. And so learning that is just about retention is not all that helpful. And so I agree with you. I I think it's often that, you know, depending on the the communicator's ability and and the person's learning style, et cetera, et cetera, there's a bit of a fast and loose relationship between, you know, what did you hear three weeks ago on a Sunday, or what can you tell me about the Trinity? There'll be some people that can tell you a lot of things that they've remembered, others that are just not the flippant faintest idea. But then we want to say, but how how is this? What are you becoming as part of this? And that's where process has a far better kind of the metric involved in in process is far better than just with lecture style learning. It's far easier to start to measure when someone starts to speak their story and you engage with their story. And even better, it's happening in a community where there is long-term engagement over someone's story. I mean, that's, you know, long-term change happens. You know, they they talk about drug addicts and, and how drug addicts kick drugs through community. Part of that is just being in a place that loves them and supports them to continue integrating towards wholeness as opposed to disintegrating and regressing back towards addiction and, you know, making very unhealthy and harmful decisions. And, and that is, you know, it's a very tricky thing to just kind of sim- simply sum up, but it has to do with a shared reality in a way that you're sharing your story with other people. It has to do with people witnessing who you are becoming. And there is reinforcement in that. There's there's all sorts of wonderful principles of learning engaged in that. But that person is becoming something. They are becoming someone. And and addicts speak about this so strongly. So, I am this thing, but I, I am now this thing. And so there's this strange tension between I was and I now am. And that's a formative thing. And and kids who really learn become something out of that learning. It integrates. There's an embodiment level almost at some point. And I'm not just talking about the things that are easy to retain memory-wise, like two plus two equals four. I'm talking about deeper sort of character formation stuff. That you don't have to poke them. Uh, and get them to consciously regurgitate some sort of answer. But you put them in a sudden stress situation, and this was part of my speciality, was working on values-driven um, stuff and character development within children, and then specifically taking them out and putting them in stressful environments to see how they respond. Now, that, that sounds horribly abusive, potentially, but <laughs> that's, that's not it. But the idea is that if somebody is suddenly exposed to a stressful situation... Who they are emerges very quickly. And that's part of learning. That is what it really is. And so to just chat away about the Trinity is very different to being formed as a person in relationship with the Trinity. And that's, I think, one of the things that we're trying to put our fingers on in terms of process. Process asks the question of who you are and who you are becoming. And it's a far more raw, it's a far more visible, far more transparent space, although you can hide, obviously. But it is potentially a far more raw, visible, transparent space to engage in the act of becoming. Especially if it's set up well, and there's people who will listen well, and ask good questions, and witness, and people who will encourage and so yeah you know you say you're more of an of an intellectual and bending away from the inspiration side people need good facts and good tools and they need good information they also need good inspiration that exists across the you know the spectrum but i think if you're just going to settle for an information model i think i would probably choose information over inspiration any day because i think it's uh it's the slightly, slightly chunkier of the two gruels, <laughs> if that's all you get to live off. Um, so that's one of the things that, that comes to mind when you talk about that: is, is what's actually happening. There's also a huge amount of trust involved in process, and you don't get that in lecture situations, because unless someone raises their hand and goes, "I don't know what you're talking about. What's going on here?" The trust is very much, there's one person doing the speaking, and they're trusted to give the message, and nobody else is trusted to collaborate on that in that setting. You must just receive, you know? And perhaps in a small group environment, there'll be spaces for questions, etc, etc. But in, in a high teaching drive environment, even small groups, in my experience and broad experience, replicate the greater model on a smaller scale. There's only so far you can really go with this is who I am and this is genuinely what's happening and the questions I have and the wonderings and my experience before you get a carefully packaged teaching response. The process doesn't operate like that. It, it shares the trust for people to participate and collaborate and to really invest themselves in this act of becoming.
0: Well, I, I was chatting to someone just last week. He was speaking about how frustrated they were in, in their area. Uh, and and the home group that they'd been a part of because you know it became it become it had become a mini church environment where the home group leader you know is the person that uh, that 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 basically defines everything and does the you know does all the good teaching stuff does the facilitation does the you know takes the main show and it's less about everyone else interacting and less about the sharing of lives and 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 process so there's often a shift you know and and i see it often in environments where people say oh we're going to do something different we're going to do a radically different church plant we're going to do something totally out of the box they start very relationally often with these kind of processes in place but as they build numbers they move away from that back to a traditional talk to teach model where the sermon and the message is central and so so there's there's something within the gravity of what we do that means that that we're actually looking to upscale our our, our, our churches our congregation to a preaching environment and I, I tend to think that if we are in smaller churches you know you've got the church of the 20 or the 50 or the 75 members even one could probably find a way to do more process oriented stuff but here here we we have as you say preaching not as anti-processes and standing against um, uh, process, but rather anti-processes and displacing process because it prioritizes preaching and all the message, and it actually just won't let that go. It sees that as being the highest ideal. I think I think yeah. I mean, real learning is becoming. I totally I totally agree with you on that, and and I totally agree with you on the on the on the shift of trust because in a classic environment, the trust rests on the preacher or the leader of the church, which is why we take you know all these accountability structures and that's so you know so seriously you know we set them up and and everything but but trust really rests on that one person or that or that all that, that central team whereas in process you actually the trust rests in every individual that participates and and um, and in the quality of the facilitation um, and
1: and it has to because you know I th- i'm thinking just about you know you, you talk about plants starting at a relational level and then they sort of move towards the more lecture preacher oriented but that's because you can't do relationships at scale you can't do that without trust
0: yeah because you can do there it within be, scale but not at scale yeah
1: yeah yeah, yeah. so you you can do if there's a low trust environment, you can only do relational interaction at very low scale, groups of five, ten, etc. As, as, as soon as it starts to build and you get 30 people coming, you can't rely on the relational engagement because the few people holding the purse strings cannot stay connected with everyone and watch what they're saying and doing and how they're representing the brand, etc. all the time. But if there's a very high trust environment and you have distributed leadership throughout there, then it can grow relationally as big as it needs to. It can be a billion members. But it's just, it relies on it's very difficult to have that conversation because immediately there's all sorts of thoughts about um, doctrine and belief and what are people actually affiliating to, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. And so that has to be defined. But but. If if I trust you to get on with your life. That's very difficult to say, to summarize.
0: Well, it's 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 honestly in people stress accountability in low trust environments. Low trust environments are policed. People are not free to explore and grow or ask questions. That's just the reality. In a high trust environment, people are unable to grow from beginners into proficients. They're enabled to grow from people that are new in the faith to people that have a solid understanding of the faith and and who practice it for themselves. That's really the difference. So so, so the balance shifts from everything rests on the preacher, the, the, the teacher, everything rests on the stage, as opposed to everything rests in the quality of the individuals. You know, the quality of their experience, the quality of their process, the the level of trust that they have amongst each other. And in a high trust environment, you don't have to stress accountability because people are trusted and they trust each other and they they live up to that trust.
1: I hear you. I think the thing that stops me in my tracks is kind of going, what do they become proficient in? And I think that's the low trust environment question always is we need to define the outcome like we we have we need we need to have a say in the quality of the outcome because the quality of the outcome in some way defines the brand so coke doesn't distribute their leadership across the country and across the, the sorry across the world and just say like everyone just get on and do the coke thing and we'll trust you And we won't have any quality checks in place, right? And people suddenly in Australia start complaining that Coke there tastes different to the US, you know, and and suddenly you get this huge divergence of brand, right? And I think that's the low trust environment where everything needs to be the same, right? So the question is, what, what do people become proficient in? And so I suppose what I'm trying to just put my finger on there is what would a high-trust environment look like? What would we be suggesting? Do people just become proficient in process, in relational process? What are the checks and balances around there? Do there need to be checks and balances? Because I think it's naive to just say high-trust means nuts, Everyone like have at it. Do, do what you want. But at the same time, it does almost say that, because high-trust and violence is, well, you're an adult, so I'm going to trust you to be an adult. And I'm going to engage you with, with you as an adult. I'm not going to protect you from yourself or from me. And I'm not going to ask you to protect me from you or from myself. We're going to have proper, deep, meaningful, trusting um, engagement together. And so if I don't like something you have to say, then I don't have to run off and find a preacher and go, Tim said something you know, weird or mean or whatever. You need to come and sort him out. We're actually going to get on at a adult level and, and work through that. And that's, I think, part of what process is. But I I think I'm noticing two things in myself, if I quickly take temperature, the first is just how quickly below the surface, the low trust environment lurks within me. And as I start to go down that road, I go, Oh, no, like, who's going to make sure that, you know, everything kind of works out okay. So I see that, I'm not sure what to do with that immediately, but the second is a sense of that, you know, there are always boundaries to relationships, perhaps that's the best way to put it, and so it's moving into high trust environments doesn't necessarily mean that it's in, like all systems go, like no rules just go nuts, anything can happen. I guess it has something to do, again, I would think, and I'm thinking out loud really here, a reminder to all our listeners, these are conversations <laughs> in which you you get a live view into our brain as we think out loud. It has something to do with, I think, the co-regulating, the shared reality again, that really takes seriously a, well, I don't need to run off and find the preacher and go, okay, we we'll quickly bring the magic book and let's settle this because it's getting messy or difficult or whatever. But I would have to go, Tim, that's a strange thing you say, or it's a strange thing you said you experienced. Let me, instead of shutting you down and bringing the right answer, ask you some questions. Let me listen carefully and deeply. Why do you describe God the Father as a toad who hides under your chair and throws sharp objects at you every time you walk around? You know, Because look, the preaching environment will be quick to jump on that and correct you that that's wrong. You know and why are you trying to convince everybody else that that's the only experience that they should have of this god father thing etc and so i guess in a way perhaps what i would lean towards and this is the beginning of a thought which i'd want to you know keep kicking around and thinking through and playing with etc is that perhaps that's also just part of of what process is process has time and space for people To manifest who they are what they experience how they see the world and that there is patience and grace within process that allows those things to work their way out so worst case scenario you go to a doctor for an infected wound the doctor doesn't open the wound up and go oh isn't this amazing look everything's lovely inside we'll just stitch you back up and you'll be fine when they open an infected wound the first stuff that comes rushing out is like, you know, let may not be graphic, it's horrible. <laughs> if a doctor goes, oh my goodness, what's happening? Like, we can't have that here. You, you'll, you'll never get the infection out. You'll never deal with the wound properly. And so let's say, you know, one side of the spectrum is there's some like difficult, hurtful, horrendous, whatever stuff that comes out when people enter into process. Sometimes it has to come out. In fact, I would I'd probably argue and theoretically more often than not, if not 99% of the time, that stuff needs a place to come out for people to deal with it. And it doesn't need to be stitched up quickly with teaching or some Bible verse or being corrected. It's unbelievably unhelpful. I think if you polled people across the world, Western culture, who are deconstructing, they would say that is probably one, if not the most difficult thing that happens when they're deconstructing. They're trying to come to grips with some really difficult stuff, and people have no space, no time, no grace for process. And so they try to stitch up what looks like a broken leg with verses of scripture and, yeah, but God is this or, or whatever. Instead of allowing the person to go, well, it feels like a broken leg. It moves like a broken leg. It bleeds like a broken leg. It doesn't take weight of my body like a broken leg. But I really want to, like, I want to investigate this. Maybe it's not a broken leg. Maybe I'm learning to walk differently. The analogy is somewhat unhelpful. I will just kind of put that out there because, it, like, a broken leg is that
0: get, would be this, quite clear. This is a but, process context, uh, so we've got the space yes, uh, for yep. that. Too. <laughs> there,
1: there we go. I'm trying to role model it. But there's something there, I think, in, in that patience, which I'm finding. That's why I just I'm interested in my temperature taking that my first response is wanting to shut that down and go, oh, but what are the checks and balances? So what am I saying? Process has about it a sense of patience, grace, hospitality. I think that's a better word. I think it hosts people's stories and their process well. I think, for example, it looks at the book of Jonah and doesn't, no, no, there's a better example. That's too a little weird. It looks at the life of Jesus (laughs) and doesn't go, let's judge what's going on here, the height of the ministry. There we go. Look at all those crowds. Look at all those people. Woo, amazing. Okay, that's the measure of the man. Oh, but look a little while later. A whole bunch of them leave him because he's saying difficult things. Okay, well, then that's the measure of the man. Oh, now he's down to just his mates. (laughs) Now, that's the measure of the man. Oh, shit, he's been arrested and he's been beaten up and he's only got a few people with him. That's the measure of the man. Oh, now they've all abandoned him. <laughs> and he's, he's being put to death. Oh, that must be the measure of the man. Oh, wait, look, he's hanging on the cross. Some of his mates are back. Definitely looks like he's going to die. That's the measure. And you see where I'm going with this. Now he's dead. That's the measure. You know, And process allows all of that to work its way out. And it has hospitality, patience, grace, It's a soft landing space for that to work its way through, and that's why it's so damn difficult. It's, I think, there are great tools and there's great sort of methods, etc., to get into process, but you have to participate in each one as if it's the only real thing. Right then, right now, that's what's happening. You have to pay attention to it. It's like a live animal, and nine times out of ten it might have zigged when you thought it was going to zag. And the tenth time it will zag instead of zig, and it will catch you off the top. And you'll go z- hardly following the theory or the method or whatever, but you have to be able to go with it. You have to be able to work with this live animal. One last tiny little story to try and hopefully make some sort of summed-up point about this. I worked with an exceedingly gifted facilitator when I was working in, with, with schools and and this kind of experiential learning process work. I remember one day they came up to me with this. Um, they'd, they'd stolen, stolen. they borrowed effectively from our kitchen a, a five-liter water drum, taken it with them wherever they went. And every time they had an experience with the group, the group debrief, um, the, the kids involved in the debriefing of the experience had to offer four pieces of material for each point that they made. And it went into this water drum. And by the end of a three-night experience, they had a full five-liter water jar, one of those little plastic water bottle things, full of seemingly inconsequential bits of fluff and grass and stone, and whatever. But they'd been able to all participate in making that. And it stood as a, as a as a symbol of the experience they'd built. And it, was a, it wasn't quite a living thing, but I think as a symbol, it was a living thing of what had happened, that they'd all co-labored over, and they all shared. And each of them could say, well, that's my little piece of fluff or my little whatever. And I've, it's never left me as a beautiful example of what happens when a group is really encouraged to go into process. And you can almost see the reality coming together in front of your eyes of this living thing of what it means to share this space and to really navigate it in a deeply respectful and intentional way. And if I come all the way back to some of where you started, I think that's why that um, person that you talked about found that 10-day retreat to be something, because there were a bunch probably of those things involved. But it it takes a lot of skill, I think, to host those sorts of things, and it takes a lot of trust in yourself and others. I think it takes a lot of courage to go with stuff when it's not looking good, <laughs> um, and to really, to really roll with things, and a lot of patience because process also takes a lot of time. Some things I'm still processing after years and years and years in my life. It takes time. It takes a lot of time. But if you have a model of a Sunday morning meeting, where things have to be wrapped up in an hour, hour and a half, that's just another way in which the institution doesn't support process. It's giving you a little package, like, but we should be done by now. We talked, we talked about this topic. Like, what else is there to say about the Trinity after 40 minutes? Well, maybe you're right. What else is there to say? Maybe there's a lot more though to experience. And to uh, to participate in. So so it's a bit of a ramble back on, on my side, but just there's just so many wonderful elements to try and tease out around the
0: process. There's two things I, I wanna just, just touch on, you know, coming out of that as well. The one thing is is one can always add process into existing church structures. The other thing is I would really love to see beginning with process from the ground up, with the expectation that one isn't Doing church by doing this, you form, you're enabling individuals to form and grow, and and out of that, perhaps community can be an epiphenomenon. It's not actually what you're doing, but community can emerge and exist. And and I'm really interested in the latter for for myself, and I think I think we are. But um, but but I think I think just to comment on on on. On, exact, on, on adding it in. You know often you see in the quote-unquote the other ministries like Alpha or a, a, or a recovery course or something like that. There's there's often processes in place. But what happens is so if you take a look at Alpha, Alpha is a great process for getting people into the church. Usually previously Christian people that have never really settled you know do Alpha and then they they land in the church. But they come in because of the process and because of the experience of community. Know, it's a hospitality environment like you say but once that is over the only place that they can repeat those things including the engagement with the Holy Spirit is by doing Alpha again they actually don't get any of that by doing church and so that that's a weird kind of anomaly because we basically go when we do church proper we do the following but how do we really preach people where do we really see them grow perhaps when we do things like this like Alpha and we want to do that because we're going to get people in. But what do we want to do? No, to successfully grow the church is to grow the people that arrive in the congregation on the Sunday. It's a very different kind of approach. So I think that that the institutional model of the church persists today across mainline churches, independent churches, and business churches. And and functionally, we're actually working with that same model. And so, so it doesn't... It, it actually displaces, or it, or it relies on process to bring people in and to support people so that they can be in the main church. Because you only need a recovery course because you're in recovery, right? You only need Alpha to be introduced to the faith and introduced to church. Then you do church proper. And I think in that sense it can be added to, but I don't think it's it it becomes the backbone. It, I don't think it actually ever is evidence to be a true value in terms of practicing Christianity and and I, I you know I for one would love to see that change and so so I think that there's there's ways in which one can go about perhaps recruiting people that are are, are tired of just being part of that model that are actually looking to to invest and looking to um, to grow they actually want to practice they want to practice relational engagement with God. They want to practice that, you know, and on that foundation, they want to go through processes to do that. And I think that there there's a there's a space that exists for saying, you know, Steve, Tim, why don't we enable people in areas to start those processes? You know? Why don't why you know and, and I think there's some good ideas in that table. We've got some tried and tested stuff as well. And on that backbone, it would be really interesting to see if one trusted not just that individual process but the process of processes. <laughs> you know, that that if we if we more clearly implemented process at the structure and then you know you offer several perhaps interconnected processes over a year for people. But you're not you're not looking to create a Sunday service. You're looking just to enable people to go through processes. And and sure you can create or facilitate other environments for engagement, you know, pizzas on the beach You know volleyball or or whatever but 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 you're not looking to create a preaching environment out of that you're looking to enable relationship or perhaps enable some community out of that but but you're not necessarily looking to make the community the focus you're looking to make that process the focus i wonder i wonder what would come out of that as opposed to and 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 if it is possible to come up with something that is healthier that's still Fulfills all the other markers that people want in terms of, you know, meet regularly, um, you know, people that support that, 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 that professional structure, all those that are called through tithing, you know, etc., etc. There's, there's different things that one would look at as part of that. But, but, but functionally, if one shifted it from trying to form preachers to actually form people, I wonder what things could look like.